Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I am joined by a roving Carrie Smith. Carrie, she just dropped off, but she's back. Carrie, say hi from an unknown vehicle. Hi, Carter. Hi, guys. Uh, uh, yeah, I've got a tra I'm traveling today. I have a, a funeral I'm going to, so uh, on the road. But I've we managed to figure out the technology to make this happen on the road. Magic. It's magic. magic. Uh, I would like to thank uh, Marie Busky not only for the chocolate that I've been eating, but uh, she sent a knit August Nights uh, little mug thing. Hi. I've been using that. And I think Carrie is using her knit August Nights mug thing also while she's while she's in the car. Look at that. Mm -hmm. Look at that. So my wife pointed out, though, that this might be offensive because it's white hands and a white cozy. So it's extra, <laughs> it's extra offensive. I'm sorry for offending you knitters. Um, so I'm officially, I don't have to knit. I'm just part of the knitting community. Automatically. Hey, Carter. What? I don't think you should put my camera up when I'm not talking on this episode because the shaking from my camera is going to make people sick. Okay. I can still see you. I have you, I have yeah. you over here so I can, I can look at you. Um, I want to, uh. A couple things we should announce quickly. Um, book club is not this Sunday, but it's the following Sunday, right, Carrie? Correct. And we are reading uh, Ordinary Men. If you guys haven't started it already, you can get a copy. Go to book club at unsafespace.com. Yep. And uh, also, don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Um, YouTube sometimes does unsubscribe you, so if you think you're subscribed, go make sure. Uh, and I appreciate that we've, we're getting more and more support through Subscribestar, more and more donations, so I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, please keep them coming. The more we can actually pay our bills with this, uh, the more we can actually do it and do a decent job So and not, <laughs> and not bleed the whole time. So uh, Dr. K points out it's a good thing that the cozy isn't green. Yes, it is, Dr. K. White hands with a green cozy is for sure racist. So... Uh, <laughs> Also, this Sunday's Father's Day, everyone. So, I don't know. I guess I guess uh, appreciate fathers if they're worth appreciating. Many of them are. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe look up some stats on fatherlessness. I don't know. <laughs> you know the. That'll help you. You. you know the. You know the SJWs are trying to do away with Father's Day and Mother's Day and just make it uh, Parents' Day, right? Hmm. I hadn't known that, but you know, I should have known that. I yes. feel dumb for not knowing that they were. That they, of course they are. Of course they are. They don't like. They don't like acknowledging individual um, genders because there's like 92 other genders that you don't acknowledge. Right. Guardian <laughs> Unicorn Day is like a separate one. Yes. Guardian Large Empty Room. Yes. I'm surprised they're happy with the word parent because it implies that there's some uh, biological relationship between older people and younger people. Uh, and I'm pretty sure yeah. biology is uh, a social construct. So yeah, maybe someday. I, what? I was I was gonna say I think I think you know we've talked a lot about this these dystopian novels like the ones we've been reading in mm -hmm. and Safe Space Book Club, and there's something about te the tearing down of the family mm -hmm. that they're trying to do that is very it reminds me more of Brave New World. Like, I've been thinking a lot lately about Animal Farm and 1984 and Fahrenheit 451. 
but the the attack on the family structure that makes me that reminds me of Brave New World. Yeah, and I think that something that 1984 and Fahrenheit 451 and some of the other novels miss is that uh, if you re to, to really get the political change, the dystopian political change, you need to change culture. And one of the best ways to change culture is to really undermine the family relationships, right, and start inserting the state into those relationships, which Brave New World got got right. Um, so, or right in quotes. Carrie, I want to talk about something. Today is Juneteenth. Uh, I'm going to take you off of video just for a moment because of shakiness. But uh, yeah, please today, do. today is Juneteenth. And, you know, growing up, I didn't know. I've never heard of Juneteenth growing up. Maybe if you're in Texas, you knew. But it's become increasingly popular. Juneteenth is the uh, it's the day that... Yeah, I've... Go ahead. Do you want to say something? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I learned about it in school. Did you? Okay. I, I was in, I was I grew up in New York, so um, maybe it's more uh, of a southern thing. I don't know, but sorry. Juneteenth is the day yeah. that uh, slavery ended in the in the Confederacy uh, officially. It actually did continue beyond June nineteenth uh, in the North, in a few spots, or on the border states, actually, in a few spots. But uh, but in the Confederacy, that was the day it finally ended, and it was in I think in uh, was it Galveston, somewhere in Texas. I don't remember. Um, but Juneteenth has become increasingly popular. And uh, people are, are more and more celebrating Juneteenth. And I wanted to, you know, I think it's a day actually worth celebrating. I mean, the end of slavery in the Confederate States is, is certainly a noble thing worth celebrating. But, you know, you and I, you and I have talked previously about uh, the 1619 Project. We had an interview with uh, Dr. Allen, which I'm actually glad you tweeted about this morning, Carrie, because... Uh, I actually want to, I wanted to tweet that episode out again today just because it's particularly appropriate. And Dr. Allen talks about the founding of America. And for those of you who don't know about the 1619 Project, really briefly, it is it started with a New York Times piece about how the origins of the United States were was it was actually not the Declaration of Independence and the Revolution that was the origin of the United States, but uh, 1619 when slaves came from when slave, the first slaves were brought from Africa to uh, the colonies at the time, and slavery was uh, central to the founding of America, America's history, and and really, the it, it minimizes any founding principles that are written down and any of the actual things founding fathers said, and and really emphasizes that it, it tries to paint slavery as a uniquely American and uh, uniquely uh, woven into the foundation of America, and and then by doing so, undermining the principles of freedom and individual liberty and all the good things that America was was founded upon that it didn't live up to fully until it abolished slavery and got away uh, and you know got rid of Jim Crow laws and other abhorrent things. And I thought today would be a good day, Carrie. If you don't mind, can I read a few excerpts? I. I just looked up, I did not cherry pick and look up like specifically abolitionists that liked the founding principles of the, of the country. I just looked up like top abolitionist speeches. Not all of them have speeches that are transcribed that you can, you can really parse. Um, but uh, I looked up abolitionist speeches and I'd like to read, if it's okay, I'd like to read a couple excerpts because my, the point I'm gonna make here is if you'll notice the abolitionists 
all of, well, I don't know if all of them, but the major ones were appealing to, they weren't rejecting the founding of America. They weren't saying no, they that. Appealed. Yeah. They appealed to it. They, they were appealing to the principles that were outlined in the founding documents. And so if you don't mind, I'm just going to read a couple. And, uh, Please do. This is all right. this is something great. I, I'm glad. I wish I had thought of this. This is great to do in honor of Juneteenth. I think so because because yeah. look at the end of the day. I guess the preface to this is uh, individualism is the antidote to slavery, and individualism is you know instead of trying to instead of having a race war, we should be uniting against the the tyrants, the authoritarians that are trying to destroy. Uh, individual rights in this country and subjugate all of us. Uh, and they're afraid of us uniting in individualism, in freedom, uh, against them. And so they're, tr they're busy trying to conjure up a race war between us. And uh, we're smarter than that. We don't have to succumb to this kind of crap. So let's, so here we go. Henry Highland Garnet. Uh, and in 1843 address, he's, I, have, I have three speeches I'm going to quote. One is his, one's uh, William Lloyd Garrison, and the last one is Frederick Douglass, which is my favorite one. Um, so William Lloyd Garrison in 1854 in Boston, he was uh, the most prominent, pro by 1854, he was probably the most, um, oh, well, let's not start with him, sorry. Let's start with Henry Highland, 1843. Um, he, he, he had an, an address to the slaves of the United States. Now, this address is actually quite stirring he's telling the slaves to revolt he's saying like you need to fight this physically it's a it's a moving speech and it's a it's a morally uh uh, uh what's the word praiseworthy laudable it's a morally laudable speech it's a, it's a it's a good message and and it's a strong message but even in this message i'm just going to read a couple excerpts he's talking about uh prior to the actual founding, but in the colonial system. Uh, he says, the propagators of the system or their immediate ancestors very soon discovered its growing evil and its tremendous wickedness, and secret promises were made to destroy it. So he's talking about people saying they're going to destroy slavery. The gross inconsistency of a people holding slaves who had themselves ferried over the wave for freedom's sake was too apparent to be entirely overlooked. The voice of freedom cried, emancipate yourself. So what he's saying is, even prior to the founding, people recognized the inconsistency between the principles of freedom that were being argued for and the institution of slavery that was being tolerated and even supported in some case. Later he says, the Declaration, now he's talking about the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration was a glorious document. Sages admired it. And the patriotic of every nation reverenced the God like sentiments which it contained. When the power of government returned to their hands, did they emancipate the slaves? So and he's saying, like, it's a great document, but did they, did they emancipate the slaves? No. They added new links to our chains. Were they ignorant of the principles of liberty? Again, he's not fighting against principles of liberty. Were they ignorant against the principle of the principles of liberty? Certainly they were not. The sentiments of the revolutionary orders fell in burning eloquence upon their hearts, and with one voice they cried, liberty or death. Oh, what a sentence was that. It ran from soul to soul like electric fire and nerved the arm of thousands to fight in the holy cause of freedom. Among the diversity of opinions that are entertained in regard to physical resistance, there are but a few found to gainsay that stern declaration. We are among those who do not. So he's saying, hey, lib liberty or death is a... Uh, is a beautiful, noble, um, 
just phrase, and he's not opposed to liberty or death. He's using this to spur them to actual physical action. And then finally, he says, think of the underlying glory that hangs around the ancient name of Africa and forget not. Now, this, he's talking to blacks, by the way. He's talking to slaves. This is one thing unique about his address is he was talking directly to slaves about revolt. He says, forget not that you are native-born American citizens, and as such, you are justly entitled to all the rights that are granted to the freest. That's his argument. That's his argument. It's not tear down the Constitution. It's not, uh, it's not the Constitution and freedom are tools of white supremacy. It is, you are owed these things. All men are owed these things. You included, rise up and seize them like you deserve. That's his message. It's a beautiful message. Um, and it, I assume it was very powerful. So, um, that's one. I'll, I'll quote my favorite one next, which is Frederick Douglass. He gave a speech on July 5th, 1852. He was invited to speak uh, in, in celebration of the 4th of July. And the one thing that's interesting about this, this speech is, is laud, has been lauded by the left as, as, you know, even two years ago, I saw in a Guardian article uh, saying this was the greatest anti-slavery speech uttered by an American. But an interesting thing happened because I know this speech. And I went and I just went to find the text of it online and I found this Guardian article and Ibram Kendi, do you know Ibram X. Kendi, Carrie? Do you know the name? Ibram X, okay, Ibram X. Kendi is one of the, what I call the high priest and priestesses of SJW ideology of the woke cult. Um, you will start to see, uh, in Ibram X. Kendi, you will start to see that name a lot. Uh, when people add, send out the book list, affirmation book list, right alongside Robin D'Angelo, things like that. Yep. Um, so, yes. Yeah. So, he's the author of this article, saying that this is the greatest anti-slavery speech uttered by an American. But I, and, and so, by the way, his official title is professor and director of the Anti-Racist Research and Policy way, Center. Yep. I was just going to say, turn down the gate on your mic just a tad. Uh, I think I just did. I think I did. Okay, cool. So yeah, let me up. Let me let me know, guys. Uh, if it, if it needs to go down more, let me know. But I turned it down and I moved the mic a little bit away from me. Anyway, he's the professor and director of the anti-racist. I put in quotes. Uh, Research and Policy Center at American University. So he's 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 like Carrie saying he's a high priestess, high priest. Um, interestingly enough, he in in publishing the speech for the Guardian. I I was shocked. I mean, I shouldn't be shocked by this, Carrie. He shared an abridged version. Now, the version he shared is almost the same length. He, he abridged very little. But I'm going to show you what he took out. It's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting. So what he left in was the beginning of Frederick Douglass' speech, which I'm going to read. He says, I am not included with the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, but not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, I must mourn. To drag a man in fetters into the grand illuminated temple of liberty and call upon him to join you in joyous anthems is inhuman mockery. Do you mean, citizens, to mock me by asking me to speak today? So he starts with a very strong challenge, and of course, uh, that's included in the abridged version. 
But then he says a couple things that are excluded. One is, would you have me argue that man is entitled to liberty, that he is the rightful owner of his body? You have already declared it. So again, now he starts transitioning to, I'm going to appeal to, I'm going to appeal to the founding documents and the principles upon which this nation was built. And, and then I'm going to read this, the last little bit of this, and I'll tell you which part was, was edited out. So he writes, allow me to say in conclusion, notwithstanding the dark picture I have this day presented of the state of the nation, I do not despair of this country. There are forces in operation which must inevitably work the downfall of slavery. The arm of the Lord is not shortened, and the doom of slavery is certain. I therefore leave off where I began with hope. And this next part was cut out. While drawing encouragement from the Declaration of Independence, the great principles it contains, and the genius of American institutions, my spirit is also cheered by the obvious tendencies of the age. He's explicitly calling out the Declaration of Independence and saying that American institutions are genius. He is, his argument is the principles are sound, the principles are, are just and honorable. You're not living up to your principles consistently apply the principles that are codified in the Declaration of Independence, and that will lead you to have to free the slaves and, and treat all men equally. So the last one I want to read is William Lloyd Garrison. He was the most prominent, um, he was the most prominent abolitionist in the U.S. by 1854. And I'm going to read just a couple excerpts from him as well. He says, this is right off the bat, very first thing out of his mouth for his speech. Let me define my positions, and at the same time challenge anyone to show wherein they are untenable. So by the way, what's interesting about this is he's starting off with this assumption of free speech. I'm going to say my thing, and anyone can challenge me if what I'm saying is untenable, i.e. Uh, illogical, irrational, let's appeal to reason and have freedom of speech. So that's just the assumption. He says, I am a believer in that portion of the Declaration of American Independence in which it set it is set forth as among self-evident truths that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Hence, I am an abolitionist. Hence, I cannot but regard oppression in every form, and most of all, that which turns a man into a thing with indignation and abhorrence. So right off the bat, right off the bat, appealing to the Declaration of Independence and the ideas uh, that are the foundation of it. And then he goes on to later say, convince me that one man may rightfully make another man his slave, and I will no longer subscribe to the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> convince me that liberty is not the inalienable birthright of every human being of whatever complexion or clime, and I will give that instrument to the consuming fire. I do not know how to espouse freedom and slavery together. Again, he's saying the Declaration of Independence is a document intertwined with abolitionist philosophy. Those go together in his mind. And finally, he says, my fanaticism is that I insist on the American people abolishing slavery or ceasing to prate of the rights of man. Okay, this is a, this is a, these are beautiful uh, admonitions of the practice of slavery at the time and appeals to the foundational principles upon which the U.S. was, uh, was, was based and, um, it's not the 1619 Project. These are not people saying, uh, <laughs> there's not people saying this is institutionalized. 
you, America is institutionalized racism. Your founding documents are inherently racist. That this is, the principles upon which America were built are, are on slavery and racism. No, that's not what they're saying. They're saying the principles upon which America were built are noble and you need to live up to them, Americans. I think you should remember that on this Juneteenth. By the way, I think I lost Carrie. I don't know if she's coming back. Uh, I can't tell if I lost Carrie. If she comes back, I'll add her back in. Oh, there she is. I'm here. You're back. Um, I dropped. I, uh, someone, someone yeah, in chat. I dropped out for a second. Okay, someone in chat said, "What article are you reading?" We all need to know. So uh, those weren't articles; those were three different um, speeches. So the first one I read was from Henry Highland Garnet in 1843, called "An Address to the Slaves of the United States." You can look that up. The next one I read was from uh, its famous Frederick Douglass speech from July 5th, 1852. Make sure you find the full speech because if you search for it and land on that Guardian article I told you about, it is edited. They, uh, the the uh, charlatan that is Ibram Kendi uh, selectively abridged it because, you know, a couple extra sentences is too long. And uh, the last one I read was William Lloyd Garrison's uh, speech in Boston in 1854. So you can look all those up. Uh, you can look all those up on the internet. So, uh, you know, thank go you. ahead, Carrie. Well, thank you for reading those. I wanted to, one other quick thing, you know, Ibram X. Kendi came up for me the past couple of days because people were sharing some of the S SJW in cult indoctrination stuff that they're being sent by friends and from work in their workplaces. And Ibram X. Kendi has a video that's entitled something, something like how non-racism is different from anti-racism. And I just want to save everyone the time of watching that video. Uh, the difference between being, it said it's called how being not racist is not racist is different from anti-racist. The difference is that, uh, they use the word anti-racist to to mean the racism that they practice. Right. It's just like so, Antifa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the difference between being not racist and so-called anti-racist is anti-racist is the word they use for their racism. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Anti-racist is racist. Pretty simple. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. By the way, Ninja Kitty is saying, I spoke too fast. I'm sorry. I see that Ninja Kitty extracted Henry Highland Garnet. I'm gonna I'll say the next two slowly. Frederick Douglass, July fifth, nineteen or sorry, eighteen fifty-two. And the other one was William Lloyd Garrison, eighteen fifty-four in Boston. Look those stuff up. Uh, Ninja Kitty will post links, everyone. So Ninja Kitty, part of Ninja Kitty's job as moderator is to post links. So Ninja Kitty will find that stuff and post links. Um, by the way, we just got a super chat, so now's a good time to take a detour. Thank you, um, Ohio Garbage Man uh, says, I'm a podcast listener, just wanted to support y'all. Thank you, Ohio. Uh, thank you for, I don't know how many people, I actually haven't been doing the analytics thing that I'm supposed to do on podcasts, so I don't know how many people listen to the audio only. I should probably find that out, but I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's some people. Uh, so I've been paying attention to our YouTube audience, but not so much podcast. The other thing I want to say on this Juneteenth, though, is, um, you know, my friend shared this with me the other day, and um, it's not surprising, but this kind of stuff's going on. A teacher in school telling kids that Columbus invented slavery. And um, I just, I, I think we should have a conversation about slavery, just generally to put it in context. Yeah. Well, that's not the only person. I don't know if you saw this. Tim Kaine, former candidate, oh. Democratic candidate for vice president. He just said, yes. he just 
said uh, on the Senate, was it the Senate floor? He said America invented slavery. Right. Yeah, Just, I forgot about that, Gary. You're right. A bald, it's a bald-faced lie. Right. And, How, and, <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, you're right. It's a bald-faced lie. And I, just for those of you who care about facts, um, the oldest, I think it's the oldest, like, I think there might be snippets of written language before this, but I think it's the oldest long form kind of thing was, uh, it's uh, what, the Code of Hammurabi um, in, in ancient, uh, um, what, is it not Mesopotamia? It's ancient, uh, I want to say Samaria, but I think I'm wrong. Anyway, that area. Uh, right, right above the Tigris Euphrates, like that, that area. Um, the Code of Hammurabi. Hammurabi. In the Code of Hammurabi, <laughs> slavery is mentioned as an existing institution. So pretty sure it wasn't invented by Christopher Columbus. Uh, slavery has existed. I mean, historians have documented this. Slavery has existed in every, well, I don't know every culture, every continent that's been inhabited. Every continent known to man throughout all of history. That includes China, it includes the Arab world, it obviously includes Europe, it includes South America, it includes Africa, both Northern Africa and Egypt. Anyone familiar with the Bible knows very well that the Jews were <laughs> enslaved to the Pharaoh, and Sub-Saharan Africa. In fact, Ethiopia, by the way, didn't end slavery until I think the 1940s. So the idea... Yeah, you know is ridiculous. I, I just learned about the... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I think it was Thomas Sowell who was talking about the, the Barbary Coast, the Barbary slave trade. I didn't know. I didn't learn about that in school. And so I've just been reading a little bit about that, which in which... It's, it's weird because I, every once in a while I encounter someone who's uh, putting forth the SJW belief or, or uh, the, the SJW assumption that that there's some kind of collective DNA that you don't have to have lived through slavery yourself, but you hold something in your DNA of this painful past that you can't really explain and that a white person can never relate to. And I think it was in Douglas Murray's book where we read how, even if you're a person who believes that, that, that people hold something in their, in their body or their DNA psychically from right. generations past, it's a lie to say that we that people of different races can't empathize with oppression or with, because it's in every race. Every race has this in their past. Yes. I'm not saying they're all the same. I'm just saying it's, it's absurd to think it's a, it's a way to kind of, uh, to try and, and discourage empathy and to tell people that they can't put, if, if humans weren't capable of empathy, we wouldn't be watching movies that bring, move us to tears. Right. About, showing a human experience that has that oh my gosh this person happens to be a different race than me it doesn't matter it moves you to tears because you're able to put yourself in that person's shoes yep and i completely and thoroughly reject the idea that that i have to be or that anyone has to be of a particular sex or race in order to imagine what it's like to be in any situation so right. i don't know well, if well I empathy wouldn't exist that clearly, if that were true right yeah Right. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, and by the way, thank you, uh, Ian. In chat, reminds me. Uh, I just I was forgetting the uh, the word Samaria. Um, <laughs> it was ancient Samaria. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there were 
There was, and also Elva Carowin chat points out that there are open air slave markets in Libya selling sub-Saharan Africans into slavery today. I had heard that as well, actually. Um, and I haven't, you know, I haven't like done investigative reporting on that, but I, I have seen articles about it. Um, so yeah, there are open air slave markets now. And, you know, what they would like to do, so what the left does is they begin history. Basically, 1619 is the year zero for them, right? That's when history begins. And it begins with white people springing onto the planet, bringing slavery onto the planet out of a vacuum, out of nowhere. Suddenly, white people bringing African slaves to America. This is where history begins. Um, and this is where slavery begins to them. And I guess unless they're going to blame Columbus. But, uh, you know, blacks enslaved each other in Africa for <laughs> millennia. Uh, Arabs enslaved each other. They enslaved, Ottomans enslaved the Christians. I mean, like, Egyptians enslaved the Jews. Blacks enslaved each other. I mean, people, Chinese enslaved people and were enslaved. I mean, this is part of, part of human history is tribal conquest. And often what the, the quote, fruits of victory were that you got slaves. That was what people did. That's what people did. And there's this idea that, you know, that, uh, that this is, this is a new and uniquely American thing. And you know what's uniquely American? Uh, fighting a civil war to end it. That's what's uniquely American. And, yeah, uniquely that's American, unique. ending yeah. slavery. <laughs> yeah, that's what's uniquely American. You want to you wanna look that's at something actually... that's unique to the Western world? Ending slavery based on philosophic principle. That's what's unique to the world. That's what's unique. I'm going to plug that world. interview again that we mentioned at the beginning for any of our new viewers. If you get a chance, check out the deprogrammed episode we got to do where we got to interview Dr. William Allen about the 1619 Project because he goes into a lot of this history and about how the way that the social justice cult is re-envisioning and re-imagining history is wrong. Yeah. And they're not focusing on, like what you, what, what you just pointed out, that our founding documents were unique and that they necessarily progressed us to the point where right. you would have these abolitionists re using the founding documents themselves to argue on behalf of abolition. Right. That what made us unique was not slavery. It wasn't unique to the U.S. What made us unique was ending it. And we, we, had, we had philosophic of, foundations yeah. that could be appealed to to end slavery, which no one else had. Yes. Yeah. He also got into some history of George Washington that I knew nothing about. Some really interesting stuff about how you should go. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it was really interesting stuff about George Washington and what he did at his death when he willed his his he set his slaves free, but only upon the death of his wife. And and the reason he did that was knowing the property rights that they would if if they went to her and she chose not to set them free, then they wouldn't be set free. So he made it upon her death. It was something interesting like that, but I like a little fact. Yeah, people blame know. him for trying to like keep them slaves as long as possible, but it was a it was a legal tactical move to make sure that they actually were free at the end that he needed to do. Um, you know, someone in chat points out that uh, other Western countries ended it without war, so maybe that's not a good argument. Um, I see that. I think ending it without war would be good, but here's why I think it's point important to point out that there was a war. Um, since the founding of America, there were a large, there was a large percentage of the population that was abolitionist. I mean, e even in the construction of the founding documents, there was <laughs> arguments. It's not like every 
everyone was pro-slavery. A large contingency of the population was anti-slavery, um, predominantly in the North. And uh, and yes, they had they, they compromised with evil, right? They compromised with slave so with slave owners. But um, I think I think the reason the war matters is it it goes to show that not only were they convicted like the people in the north like yes it's not good that the south fought a war to keep slavery but on the flip side it's honorable that not only that not only was the north willing to vote against slavery but they were willing to shed their own blood to fight against slavery and that's a level of conviction that i think is honorable like you know i'm not i'm not that romantic about how what what people's uh um what people did in the past, like generally, I don't like romanticize the, the the northern states in any way. There's a lot of problems with them, but uh, that's a noble cause to be able to, to to be willing to 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 sacrifice your life um, and the life of people around you in order to fight the institution of slavery. Now, I, I get that there was you know not you know not allowing secession and other other um, reasons, but anyway, I I think that's why it matters, but. Um, thank you to Keith. Thanks for the super, super chat. Uh, Keith says, Keith the Hack Guy says, presumably we don't celebrate the end of slavery in the U.S. Uh, as to do so requires admitting Lincoln didn't end slavery in the North. We celebrate the end only in the South after invasion of the Confederate States of America. Yeah, right. So slavery actually wasn't ended in the, in, as you point out, on uh, I think December sixth. I knew it was December. I didn't know it was the sixth. But yeah, later that year, uh, slavery was actually ended in the formal United States. But we don't celebrate that because uh, I think you're right, Keith. That would give some kind of credit to uh, the current U.S. government in some way for doing something. Um, we can't have that. They've got to be evil. Um, Sorry, I'm on a tear today, Carrie, and I don't, you know, I'm not, please interrupt me, <laughs> but uh, I know, I know it's difficult because you're driving and stuff, but, but please, please interrupt me. I, I, I think there's a good opportunity here to talk about um, something that both relates to, to this, this rewriting of history and the statement of things as fact, which are falsehoods, um, and our previous conversation earlier this week with Benjamin Boyce. I didn't get into Benjamin. I didn't get into it with Benjamin about this, but but uh, there's a. I disagree with him about this, and that's, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. But I want to talk about postmodernism generally, um, because we we talked about something, um, and I think it's relevant to understanding. Okay, you know, I am going to interrupt you. Yeah, okay. Before you go on this long tear. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, I just wanted to read because you were talking about men being willing to risk their to shed blood to end slavery, right? And I was just reading some Teddy Roosevelt quotes. I really like Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, I was reading some Teddy Roosevelt quotes the other day, and this one I love. He says, no man is worth his salt who is not ready at all times to risk his well-being, to risk his body, to risk his life in a great cause. You may not agree with him, but he was always very uh, cut and dry. Like, he was very emphatic. He was very passionate about what he believed. I mean, it certainly. I think I there's think some truth to that. It depends yeah. on, it depends on what his definition of a great cause is, <laughs> I guess. Um, but you know, certainly a lot of evil has been done in the name of great causes. But, um, True. but yeah, no. But it's a good, it's a good quote. Okay. It's a good quote. Uh, all right. Let me go on my tear a little bit. I don't know if it's a tear. Uh, we talk about 
Uh, on this show, especially for those those new viewers who haven't heard us talk about this before, um, you know, it was Andrew Breitbart that had said politics is downstream of culture. We, uh, I think we agree with that generally. Um, but we also add something, which is that culture is downstream from philosophy. And the problem with that is uh, philosophic errors take a long time to propagate into a culture, and people don't see the cause and effect as easily. Um, it's, it's very easy to see, like, if there's a culture, for example, of, uh, I don't know, if there's, a, if there's a culture of gay bashing, well, it results in gays being bashed, and you see that right away, and, like, it's very clear that there's a—and and maybe it results in, in laws that are anti-gay, right? And so it's very easy to see the connection. <clears throat> but a lot of times, philosophical concepts are more abstract, and it's difficult to see how they trickle down, and I think this is a good opportunity to, to talk about how at least one of them trickles down. And it's a postmodernist concept, and it was something actually embraced by Benjamin, which is why I think he and I disagree on this. Um, now— <sighs> A lot of people have been wondering why, like, where did this insanity come from? We've got Columbus invented slavery, right? That's one of them. We're, th we're hearing there's no biological difference between men and women. Like, literally, that, like, ridiculous things being said like that. Carrie has said, my favorite Halloween costume of Carrie is when she wears a shirt that says, silence is violence on one hand, on side, and, and words are violence on the other side. Those are two contradictory statements that the left parades about. Um, both of whom, well, both of those statements are false and contradict each other. It's, it's a world of contradiction. And I think a lot of normal people are now looking at some of this stuff as it, as it seeps into the mainstream and starts to, you know, the putrid smell of social justice becomes uh, unbearable even in regular old Facebook groups. Uh, I think it's, it's a good opportunity to, to see maybe how this can happen. Um, what? I was just going to say the the, pu the putrid smell of social justice is the name of my forthcoming book. Joking. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> that can be uh, that that's a new SJW candle scent. Okay. Um, conservatives actually used to talk about moral relativism as a problem, and so this this is an abstract philosophical concept that they can kind of see. It's 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 a little bit more concrete. Uh, moral relativism is a little bit more concrete. When you, when you undermine morals, they can kind of see that corrupting the concept of morality, uh, things will go wrong. But as concepts, I think, become more abstract, um, the corruption becomes more insidious and it takes longer to implement and the, and the connection is harder to see. So the concept that I want to talk about is, is something that I'm calling, I don't know if this is the official term, but I'm calling it epistemological relativism. And, and this is something that the postmodernists talk about when they use the phrase ways of knowing. And they'll say, well, there's different ways of knowing. And if you ask them to, to define it, really what they're talking about is like everyone has a different life experience and they experience things differently and they have different perspectives. Like, obviously, that's just not even a, that's not a statement that needs to be said philosophically. That's just obvious. But, but they term it ways of knowing. And so... Um, you know, epistem so epistemology is, is the theory of knowledge, is how do you know something is to be true? It's a very, uh, it's a re relatively esoteric uh, branch of philosophy. Um, philosophy itself being something that no one pays attention to. Uh, and what you do when you say there are different ways of knowing is what you're doing is you're saying, you're bringing in this sort of epistemological relativism. You're saying that um, 
there, that truth is obtainable through a number of different channels, and any one of them is equally valid. Um, so, so if you look at more rational philosophy, like Aristotelian philosophy or something, you'll, you'll see that, okay, well, we recognize what's the, what's the default epistemology? Well, it's reason and logic. We recognize that there's, there's an objective reality out there, and we may disagree about something, but we appeal to uh, reason. We appeal to, uh, you know, in science, it's the scientific method, but in, in dialogue, it's just an appeal to reason. Like, you think the sky is orange, I think the sky is blue, we take pictures of the sky, we have a discussion about wavelengths of light, maybe, and we come to a conclusion about, and, but we're both appealing to the same thing. We might, one of us, or both of us might be in error, but the main, the way that we communicate to each other, the way that we validate knowledge between each other is through reason and logic. Um, but, uh, when you switch to there are different ways of knowing, it undermines the entire ability to have that conversation, right? It might be personally bad if someone, let's say someone's like, my way of knowing is I feel it in my gut. Like, okay, that might be personally self-destructive. That might be bad for you in some ways. You might feel in your gut that shooting heroin is a good idea and it might kill you. Okay, I would argue that's a bad way of knowing, but uh, as long as it's just affecting you, I guess we could kind of leave it alone and not, not press you too much. But the problem is it doesn't just affect you because um, epistemology, a shared epistemology is necessary in a culture in order to arrive, in order to basically, um, for conflict resolution, for, for resolving disagreements and disputes, we have to both appeal to the same method, right? We can't say, well, I'm using logic and reason and someone else is saying, well, I read the back of Cracker Jack boxes and that's where I get my truth. It's like, okay, well, those might conflict. We have no way of resolving that conflict because your epistemology is totally different than my <laughs> epistemology, right? Um, so what, what this idea of, of presenting an idea philosophically that there are various different ways of knowing, um, basically is a carte blanche. It's, it's, it's giving everyone a, everyone a carte blanche that they're, what they're saying is, is presumed to be infallible because there's no standard to which they're held that requires them to communicate it in a way that meets some standard that other people could understand, right? You can say, I feel it, and there's no, I can't have, there's no argument against that. There's no way to resolve a dispute. There's nothing to do about that. You feel it. I can't argue with the fact that you feel it. Um, all I can argue with is feeling it is not a valid epistemological tool for claiming knowledge. That's all I can really argue against. Um, and you know, when we were talking with, with Benjamin, he's, he believed, he, I think he's a postmodernist, right? He described himself as a post-postmodernist, I think. And he said there was like this yes. Jedi and Sith versions of postmodernism. And he kind of talked, but, but he embraced this idea of ways of knowing. And this is why, this is why I want to talk to you about how ways of knowing, embracing different ways of knowing is, uh, is a corrupt thing. It makes that dialogue. Okay, well, hold on. Go ahead. I know you're on your tear. Yeah, yeah, go but ahead. first of all, to be, to be fair to Benjamin, I really wish you had waited and had brought him back on and had this conversation with him so he could, he could talk about more about what he meant because we're kind of having it. I'm not trying to throw Benjamin thing. under the bus specifically. Right, right. right. Like, I get it. I he get may it. have nuance that but we did I'll, not explore. He's just the inspiration for this. Right. Talk. His words were the inspiration. I, oh, I, t I totally get it. I just yeah. think he, it still would be great to ha for you to have that conversation with him. Sure, and sure. And secondly, I said, I don't know if you remember, but as he was talking, I said, I agree with you to him oh about ways of knowing yeah yes 
So we can talk about that when you're finished. Yeah, you can argue about with what me I when mean. we're finished about this. And and I would love to okay. hear what you okay, mean right by ahead. ways of knowing uh, being uh, valid. Right. So, um, but uh, here's why okay. ways of knowing isn't valid in, in my opinion, which is what my tear <laughs> is, right? Um, when you when you remove any uh, ability to, to appeal to a similar to the same standard, and by the reason by the way reason appeals to objective reality. That's the, the fundamental reason is the the non contradictory identification of reality. Like that's what it is. So um, now, if you can do this, like in the past, if you appeal to reason in the past, someone can say, for example, Columbus invented slavery, right? And and you can say, well. That's not true, right? Uh, or men and men are not women, or, or sorry, men are women. Like someone can say, like biological sex is a social construct, right? And you can say well, that's not true. Here's some biology. Let's let's talk about it. Here's the bimodal distribution. Um, and you can't just make something true because you want it to be, or because it um, is convenient for your political goals. Um, so, at, so if you think about the Jonathan Haidt rider elephant thing, we've all got elephants charging off in our own emotional directions. And yeah, the riders can't always control the elephants, right? But at least reason is the common language of the riders. It's like, at least the riders can communicate to each other using reason and like, and maybe one rider's elephant is going off and he can't really listen to the reason, but there's a potential that the riders could communicate with reason. When you cut that off and you say each rider has his own way of knowing, it totally destroys communication possible. And the elephants are just gonna go and whatever, direction they want and the rioters just going to justify it using whatever they want and there's no accountability um there's no accountability for any beliefs so now you can say well biological sex is a social construct and and someone can try and argue with you and you can say well uh that's my lived experience what does that yeah. mean right that's my way of <laughs> that's knowing what I feel. that's yeah. my way of knowing done and um that closes down the discussion and it makes dialogue actually impossible, literally impossible. And if you don't have dialogue, by the way, all you have is fists and guns. That's it. Those are the two options for dealing with humans, right? So you can claim factual inaccuracies and there's no basis for opposing them philosophically. And I'm not arguing that everyone that's indoctrinated this way thinks on a philosophical level. They're not, been, they're not thinking like, well, I believe in ways of knowing, and epistemologically, I have a different method, and therefore, you know, uh, sex is a social construct. That's not what they're thinking. They've been, they've been indoctrinated into this system of thinking that they can't think outside of it. They can't comprehend that there should be one epistemological standard that's reason and that that should be appealed to. It, it's, not that they're, it's not that they're deep philosophically saying like, well, actually I'm a postmodern. I mean, some of them might be, but regular people aren't saying like, well, I'm a postmodernist and we believe in, you know, any old epistemology is fine yeah. and blah, blah, They're not, no. they're not it's, they can't think they beyond not, that. That's their mode, that's their paradigm for epistemological they're not, paradigm. They're not thinking deeply, yeah. Right, and they're they can. not thinking deeply. And, and they're being told to just repeat things like, they know to repeat, uh, this is my lived experience, right? And you don't right. get to invalidate my lived experience. They know to repeat that, but they never really thought, they don't, they don't even know the word epistemology. Most of the people repeating this, they don't know that word. You know, they, they wouldn't even know what you're talking about. As you right. know, I'm not saying all SJWs, I'm saying the ones, the, the, the majority of them, the ones who are the sheep in the movement repeating all the catchphrases, they know to say that your intent doesn't matter. So they can say, you know, 
that was what you said or did is racist. And then you're like, no, no, it's not. And here's why. And, and they said, well, it doesn't matter what you intended. I perceived it as racist. So it is. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And they, they don't have, you know, they've had their ability to reason. They've had their epistemological tool destroyed intellectually. So they, they can't look at this and say, they, they don't, you know, you guys, you see someone say, that's my lived experience, and you kind of chuckle internally, like that's a ridiculous reason, right? They don't have that. They don't have that mechanism. It's not ridiculous. They, they've that mechanism's been destroyed. Um, that's how. That's how bad philosophy creeps slowly into culture. It starts with, you know, it starts in the universities. It starts in the philosophy departments. It it bleeds into the humanities. Then you have English majors and sociology majors talking about it, and then it bleeds into teaching professions, and then it bleeds into mainstream media, and eventually you've got people. Just like regular old Karens on Facebook or whatever saying like, well, that lived experience, that's a valid tool. They don't understand why it's a valid tool, but there is an entire, uh, there's an entire universe of academic uh, literature that's purported to uh, support this thing. And so it seems legit. And if they've, if they've sufficiently had their mental capacity uh, crippled, by the government school systems, then they can't recognize the problem. So yeah. um, that's my rant, Carrie. Okay, so here's why. Here's what I have to say about it. Okay. I do believe there's more than one way of knowing. However, that's just a belief that I have. And I do not believe that other ways of knowing are good epistemological tool. I don't believe they are epistemological tools. I don't believe that they are like, I, and, and maybe this has to do with you and I, our difference on, you know, you're an atheist. I believe in God. I, I believe in a whole lot of things that I can't wrap my head around. And, and I don't think that humans are uh, capable of wrapping their head around. And so, okay, for example, there are some I, things by the way, I, I, believe that too. I think Right. So there are some things that I think I know, know in a way that's not rational or intellectual, whether that's emotional or in my gut or something. The same way, the same way um, a baby monkey knows to be afraid of a snake, even though it's never seen a snake before. But when it, when it sees a snake, it recoils. It knows that that's something dangerous. I feel like there are ways of knowing that we can't, we don't that that sometimes there's things I can't explain that I just know in a way that's hard for me to explain rationally. And I don't try to. And I don't use those ways of knowing. I don't try to use those as arguments. So that's right. what JWs mean. Like I would never say, well, I, I know this is true because in my gut, blah, blah, blah. Or I know this is true because uh, I know your intent better than you do, right? Or it matters how I received right. it. Or it matters, yeah. Well, and my so that's why you and I, my lived experience matters. And so, so yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. why you and I get along, um, even though we have this fundamental difference. Um, and, and this was kind of what I was alluding to at the beginning. I think alternate ways of knowing, knowing, and I'm putting it in quotes because that's, you know, my opinion on this. I think alternate ways of knowing are self-destructive. Ultimately, you don't have to think that you can have your own, you can have your own opinion about that. It only it really matters when we interact and what you don't do 
which you just said is you don't take your way of knowing and use it as a yeah. a tool whereby I'm supposed to fall in line with your uh, argument because of your way of knowing. You use only the reason as your appeal to other people. You don't try and convince yes. other people through any other means. And as long as that's happening in society, we can get along with people who think that there's other ways of knowing because they're not using yes. them against other people. Yes. This is a okay, great example of this is the anecdote I shared with you once about how when I worked in entertainment and I worked for that, one of my bosses, he brought in a feng shui lady who on the day I wasn't there, she feng shui the place and I came back and I was told that because of my birthday and my energy or whatever, that I need to move my desk into the hallway. And I, I was like, that. I'm not moving my desk into the hallway. I guess I'm going to bring a friend who knows how to read chicken bones. <laughs> you know, and I think what you're saying, if anybody's confused, is that you may believe that like I do, that I believe I know some things through my gut or what, or what have you, or he may believe that feng shui works and that's a way of knowing, or that reading chicken bones is a way of knowing. But none of these things are things that we've all agreed upon that you can test and that we've all said, yes, this is it. And what they're trying to do is say, is they are trying to elevate these uh, theoretical alternate ways of knowing they're trying to elevate them and put them on the same level as reason they're actually trying to put them above reason oh absolutely above logic above reason. yeah because they're trying yeah they're trying to say your lived experience and what you feel to be true what you know in your gut that those things are that that's a more valid epistemological tool than reason or logic and that's just a ball-faced lie yes so. yeah um I think maybe I lost some people. I saw some people in chat say, like, I have no idea what Carter's talking about now. I'm sorry if I lost you. Uh, I think I made sense, but, you know. Yeah, you did. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, I'm, I'm a, I was at least appealing to reason. I'm trying to make sense. Uh, yeah. It's not just my lived experience that I'm arguing about. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that was a, a, a good example of seeing how a... Something that sounds like a relatively benign philosophical premise to accept that most people wouldn't pay attention to uh, metastasizes over time and slowly becomes something that enters culture where people can, with a straight face, say things like, Columbus invented slavery or whatever, and there's no, there's no longer an appeal to, like, facts don't matter. And this is why facts don't matter. Um, this, is the, this is the justification why, for why facts don't matter. Postmodernism is like post-fact world, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, Carrie. Yeah. A couple other topics we could talk about. Uh, one of them is one of them is really bothering me. Um, this, uh, I, there's a few actually. There's a lot that's bothering me, honestly. Yeah. Um, I imagine. This boogaloo stuff is bothering me. Uh, because this is the mainstream media uh, trying to... So remember we talked before about how the mainstream media, they've already tried... They make words, um, they make words that uh, are being used against them verboten. So, you know, we talked about it with actually with social justice, like SJW, a social justice warrior that was invented by social justice warriors. Like they invented that term as a self-descriptive term. But as soon as it was used against them, Suddenly, only alt-right people say SJW, and it's an alt-right term. We've talked about the word, the, the phrase Overton window, right? Being, oh, that's an alt-right term now. Why? Because it was being used to describe 
the shifting of the Overton window that the left was and the, the mainstream and for, media was doing. For anyone, for anyone who doesn't know, Overton window describes the acceptable range of discourse and and where it's at. And so, yes. the, a lot of a lot of people who've been critiquing my old ideology came to recognize that the Overton window has shifted dramatically towards the alt left or the SJW left and the range of what's acceptable has moved so far towards the SJW left that now you can you can tell this it's moved there because now mainstream totally main center of the middle of the road conservatives are being called far right you know they call Ben Shapiro far right they call um they call classical liberals like Dave Rubin far right Mother Jones magazine called him far right yeah, you know they call, and yeah. so that's that, and and what was happening is that as people learned about anything that's effective in calling out and describing what it is they're doing, they are going to try to make those words taboo. What's the easiest way to make those words taboo? Well, to say that's what white supremacists say, and they did it with neo-Marxism. If you look up neo-Marxism on Wikipedia, it says you know an conspiracy theory. So people quit using neo-Marxism because they don't want to be associated with white supremacists. So, you know, I call it identity politics-based Marxism. I wouldn't be surprised if they'd make that off-limits at some point. But yeah, they made they, they tried to make Overton Window off-limits. They tried to make SJW off-limits. Um, yeah. And now, you've pointed out before, they're making individualism off-limits. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the best ways to see the shift in the Overton Window is, is to look at people who are heroes of the left today and something that they said maybe as recently as a few years ago. Um, and how that thing that they said is so beyond the pale by the new standards that they would be, sometimes are, kicked off of social media or vilified or canceled in some way. Um, if sometimes if they grovel, they're not or whatever. But, um, you know, you can use clips of Joe Biden to argue against Joe Biden, right? Um, very easily. I mean, and that's true for a lot of politicians always. But, you know, you, that's one of the ways to see the Overton window uh, Overton window shifting. So, um, I, another, so individualism is a word they've been, they've been, they've been using and that they say is, uh, alt-right and, and white supremacists now it's, it's a dog whistle. Um, free speech, we've seen them use the phrase free speech to say that that free speech is now an alt-right dog whistle. Like anything that goes against their narrative, anything effective, they, they ban it. Um, and I was, I was saying that soon I expect the word univariate to be, uh, be considered alt-right, white supremacist, whatever. Well, they're doing that with the word boogaloo. And now let's talk about why they're doing that with the word boogaloo first. Um, do you remember there was uh, a federal officer, Patrick Underwood, he was killed during the Oakland riots um, a few weeks ago. And they caught the killers, or well, the alleged killers. And uh, one of the guy's names was Stephen Carrillo, and he had a ballistic vest with a patch that referenced the Boogaloo, and a, a, allegedly he wrote the word Boog on the hood of a car in blood. And so, so, um, so there's a tie now to this. The, now, now the mainstream media is going to pick up on this word Boogaloo. And let's just hear what a couple people are saying about it first, and then I'll explain the truth about Boogaloo. Uh, According to Forbes, while both the Boogaloo meme that gave rise to the group as well as its name are racist, some proponents hold themselves out as allies of the Black Lives Matter movement and others see themselves as true defenders of law and order. 
by the way, the meme, not racist. We'll go over the meme in a moment. Um, total lie. Total, total, total lie. And by the way, it's not a movement. It's a word. Another thing we'll talk about. Uh, Shannon Watts, one of my favorite people to hate follow on Twitter. She's the mom's demand, like anti-gun, uh, <laughs> anti-gun Karen. I don't know. Yeah. She, uh, she writes, the Boogaloo meme emerged in anti-government and white power spaces in the early 2010s and has been an explicit call for race war. The term is regularly deployed by white nationalists and neo-Nazis who want to see society descend, in, descend into chaos so that they can build a new fascist state. Um, now, by the way... Um, wait, a... hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Can, can I say something? Uh, uh, they want okay. to see society descend into chaos so they can build a new fascist state? That's what SJWs want. Right. Right. Yeah. Was, so, so this is okay. what she says. So this is what she says. Now, I'm going to not quote me. I'll, I'll tell you about the Google in a minute. But before I even quote my – before I'm the one presenting information, J.J. McNabb, who's an anti-Trump leftist and a fellow at the George Washington University's program on extremism and has written books on extremist movements, she – she – quotes the Shannon Watts tweet that I just mentioned, and she writes, almost nothing in this statement is true. Uh, Jim Shudo, Scudo, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, CNN anchor and chief national security correspondent, he says, this group, he's talking about the Boogaloo, this group is, a, is white supremacist and aims to start a race war. It calls the Boogaloo. Again, JJ McNabb, leftist extremist expert, says, this just isn't true. Okay, so without lying, relying on a leftist extremist anti-Trump uh, uh, expert, I will talk to you guys about the boogaloo because I use the word boogaloo. I have used the word boogaloo in the past. I'm going to keep using the word boogaloo in the future. Um, the origins of the boogaloo are actually uh, not only not racist, just kind of silly. Um, there was a crappy movie. That movie was called Breakin' 2 colon electric boogaloo <laughs> it was a it was a dance movie um and i think it was in the 80s and it was really bad it was very poor quality so people mocked the movie and one of the ways that they mocked it is they when when sequels came out for things people would start to put colon electric boogaloo because it was just this indication of like oh the sequel's gonna suck it's gonna be called electric boogaloo right now, eventually, that turned into people looking around. So, so I want to be clear about this. This is not people hoping for civil war. This is people that are looking around at society falling apart around them, saying, shit, there's going to be a civil war, and it's going to suck. It's not going to be like a noble civil war against slavery. It's going to be a crappy civil war. And they dubbed it Civil War 2.0 Electric Boogaloo. Now, eventually, that's been shortened to Boogaloo. And people use, lots of different people use the, the word Boogaloo. Um, most people that I see use the word Boogaloo, including myself, um, they use it to describe this increasingly inevitable societal collapse and physical confrontation that may, in, well, may happen. I don't want it to happen. I think most people don't want it to that happen. That nobody, that nobody wants. Right. I think most people don't want it, but there's this, there's this increasing sense that like, 
I better prepare for the boogaloo because uh, it's it's starting. It, maybe it's going to happen. And and what I've seen from the the boogaloo crowds generally is uh, they seem to be they seem to fall into two camps. One seems to be mostly politically checked out because they've resigned themselves to the idea that they can't stop the boogaloo. It's coming. They can't stop it. Uh, they wish they could stop it, but they've kind of given up on discourse and they kind of feel like, okay, well, uh, I guess the boogaloo is going to happen. Uh, and I guess we should be prepared. I will put myself in that camp with the exception that I haven't given it up, given up on discourse. I'm just kind of feeling like eh, it's a high probability that the boogaloo is going to happen. So I'm still going to fight, uh, verbally as long as I can. And I hope it doesn't happen. I'd rather have some other peaceful resolution, but you know, as time goes on, I more and more resign myself to that. That actually may be a reality. So there's there's those people, and a lot of those people are disconnected from politics because they just believe, like, it's going to happen. Why even argue about politics? Let's just sit around, collect ammo, uh, become preppers, and wait for the boogaloo to happen, right? There is a contingent of what I would call collapsitarians. They, uh, they actually want the boogaloo. Some of them, I'm oh, sure... Yeah. Some of them, I'm sure, want the boogaloo just because they're anarchists and they like just they want chaos. Fine, and I, I mean anarchists. Well, in a bad well way. also, I, some of them are anarchists in a bad way and they want chaos. But some of them are actually just uh, they want to accelerate it because they think they want to get to the rebuilding part. Right. They want that, it to collapse that, faster that's where I'm so going. we can start rebuilding. Yeah. yeah. So, so most collapsitarians are there because they're most they're, they want it to go fast because they want to they want to get it over with. They feel if they want to rip the bandaid off, they're like, well, we're gonna have to have a there's, this is going to have to come to a head at some point. Let's do it sooner rather than later. And that's their mindset. In fact, a lot of boogalooers in that category, the collapsitarians, I saw them follow none other than Andrew Yang. They supported Andrew Yang during the last uh, primaries because they felt, a lot of them felt like universal basic income would be the straw that broke the camel's back. The country would fall apart. And they thought Andrew Yang could usher in the boogaloo. Uh, that, was, that was their feeling. Um, obviously, there's going to be some white supremacists that use the word. There's going to be some Marxists that use the word. There's going to be someone of every political flavor that uses the word because anyone with two eyes can look out at the world right now and go, there's a chance of a boogaloo. <laughs> like, it doesn't, it's not, like, not everyone thinks it's going to happen, but everyone agrees there's a possibility here. A lot of normal people look out and go, eh. There's a possibility. So a lot of people use the word. It's not a movement. It's not a white supremacist movement. It's not an alt-right movement. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's just a word that's used in the way that I just described. And the reason that they want to make this word uh, associated with white supremacy, the reason they want to outlaw this word and make it verboten is a lot of the people, almost, not all, but a lot of the people that are aware of this, that use the word boogaloo, that um, are preppers or whatever, regardless of whether they're collapsitarian or hoping to avoid it or whatever, a lot of the people that use the word, they are the people that are standing between the, the leftist elites and a transition to Marxist authoritarianism. That's it, that's your army. Your, your, your civil defense is mostly people who use the word boogaloo. They're armed, they want freedom, most of them, not all of them, but mostly, Mostly those are the people that are going to save your ass if there's a Marxist authoritarian push. They're going to be the people that save your ass. 
That's why they need to be vilified now. They need to be called white supremacists. They need to be shouted down. They need to be torn apart. Facebook has banned the use of the word boogaloo in association with like guns or something. Like they are, they are trying to make these guys out to be the bad guy because they are the enemy of the wow. elite authoritarians. That's why they're doing it. Well, also, they just don't want you to be able to talk about it. Like, what if it became a thing where? you know people started to ask what's the boogaloo and then and then they re- like a lot of normies and a lot of honestly quite honestly a lot of these sort of well-meaning npc sjws mm-hmm. if if they became if they ever got out of the echo chambers long enough to see that people were afraid of the possibility of a civil war you know they don't want anyone to talk about that they don't want anyone to acknowledge like there there are many people coming to this conclusion independently now Yep. And they're using this word boogaloo in a funny way, but they don't want people talking about that. And uh, and because it's funny, it's a good meme. And as we know, memes are very effective at getting attention. And so they have to squash it and say, you can't use this. For anyone who doesn't know and is new to the channel, we've talked about how they've banned some of these words that they've tried to make taboo. They not only socially try to make them taboo, you get, first of all, you get professors writing op-eds trying to make these words off limits and saying stuff like individualism is a dog whistle for white supremacy which is bs uh white supremacy is collectivist it is not individualist uh, that's flat again we're talking a lot of bald-faced lies in this episode but that's a bald-faced lie they um they they have academics these sjw pseudo intellectuals who try and attack these words then you see it filtering down where like the the more soccer mom npc sjw start repeating this stuff without even knowing what they're what they mean they will say to you, oh, individualism is something white supremacists believe in. It's like, no, they don't actually. They believe in the opposite. <laughs> they believe right. in collectivism. Uh, and then th- then you see the social media companies start to ban. They put these words on lists. There was a leaked list that Facebook had a list of words that would get your post hidden and or get your post flagged. And they started to, anybody who's using these words. And on that list were words like SJW was on there. Overton Window was on there. There were a couple of others. I'm I'm sure uh, Boogaloo is on there now. Oh, that's something you can't talk about. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it yeah. is too, Carrie. Absolutely, it's on there. Um, so, yeah. Um, so that's why they want to ban it. That's why they want to. That's one of them. And that's why they want to ban and, it. And by the way, the the nice thing. So, I think maybe this is just me projecting, but I think the reason a lot of the times the reason that people use the word Boogaloo is it's it's dark humor it's a way to deal with something that's like an incredibly depressing and scary situation like can you imagine an actual civil war it would be horrific innocent people would die uh, we would lose family and friends it would be a horrible horrible scenario and a lot of times people try and like confront horrible scenarios by using some sort of humor and, and boogaloo is just like this silly humorous like there might be a boogaloo <laughs> like eh, it's like a, it's a way to kind of deal with it psychologically um and uh and they don't want you to deal with it psychologically either they want you this it's the borg resistance is futile you will be assimilated there will be no boogaloo <laughs> like that's what that's what they're telling you like do not do not imagine a boogaloo right no they're going to take over and that's the end of it um, as as the boogaloo is happening, they'll be tell they'll be putting out on legacy media that it's not happening. They'll be very yes. 1984, you know. Oceania is not at war with East Asia. Don't, I don't yes. know what you. 
I don't know what you're... There's no Boogaloo happening. <laughs> Boogaloo is an alt-right <laughs> conspiracy propagated by... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. You know what they tend to do with, with these... When they call something white supremacists? When you mentioned earlier, anyone with a set of eyes can look around them and say, hey, we might be headed to this thing they're calling Boogaloo, maybe, and that's awful. Yeah. Um, it's it's like it's like it's like going outside. It's like saying, "Oh, it looks like it's gonna rain today," and they're like, "You know who else sometimes says it looks like it's gonna rain today? White supremacists." Hitler thought it was raining. <laughs> Hitler oh. once thought it was gonna rain. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, it's. Did you ever see? <laughs> you ever see the movie Chicago? It's a musical. I don't Honest, really like musicals. Actually, I know. I, I do, I'm one of the few people on this earth who has not seen the musical Chicago. All right. I actually like it, which I know I'm going to okay. go down on the estimation of many people in chat for this. But I like the movie. I like uh, I like dark art usually, and it's, it's dark. But there's a moment in the movie where I think it's uh, Lucy Liu's character. Um, she walks in on her boyfriend literally in bed with, I think it was two other women. Um angry and he turns to her and he's like i'm paraphrasing but he turns to her and he says something like what are you gonna believe baby what i'm telling you or are you gonna believe what you see right and then she proceeds to shoot him but like i i feel like that's the mainstream media they're like you gonna believe what you see or what we're telling you guys come on uh that's their attitude it's this like <laughs> totally arrogant ridiculous uh attitude that uh actually uh, paints you as someone who's a moron yeah uh Okay, can we do that's, a couple that's super the true oh, sorry, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. last thing. That's the true definition of. Uh, uh, that's what gaslighting means. They, yes. They they either try to they either try to make words off limits or they try to uh, claim that any word that's effective. They try to start using it against you. So we've seen them try to reclaim Karen. Uh, they've tried to reclaim. They've tried to start using straw man, but they don't know what a straw what straw man means, and so they use it incorrectly. And they also use gaslighting incorrectly. They they'll, they'll use gaslighting. They gaslight to mean with gaslighting. disagreeing with. They gaslight with gaslighting because they don't know what <laughs> yeah. gaslighting means. So they're like, "Oh, you were gaslighting me." I'm like, "No, I was disagreeing with you. That's what that is." I I realize you're not used to hearing people who disagree with you. That's what that is. Um, but gaslighting is 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 when you're trying to tell the other person that reality is not reality, that they're yeah. crazy, that there's something wrong with them. Yeah. And that's kind of what the media is doing to us. Like they're completely gaslighting Absolutely. us, especially around the different ways they, they treat the, um, the Trump rallies and the, the protests against the, uh, state lockdowns versus the protests, the black lives matter protests. It's, 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 it's don't look at, don't believe your own two eyes. You guys are crazy. If you think that this is weird, that we're treating these differently. Yeah, you know, uh, someone in chat, Carrie, um, who was it? Jeanette just pointed out, it's my fav It's one of my favorite things the mainstream media has ever done, ever done and it, it is Chris Cuomo. She, she, she says it's like when Chris Cuomo says we couldn't read WikiLeaks, that's our job to read it and tell you what's in it. Like, it's illegal for you to read it, but we're the media and it's different. Like, it's one of my favorite mainstream media quotes because it is, uh, it sums up in a nutshell their attitude and their stupidity all in – it's like all the, their arrogance, their view of you, their stupidity, how stupid they think you are, what they view their role. The other good one is uh, – uh, there was someone – I forget who it was, but someone was quoted – was it um, Brzezinski, whatever? Someone, someone was quoted as saying, like, uh, it's our job to tell you what to think. I forget who – I think it was the Morning Joe lady, but I don't remember. It, it was. It was the Morning Joe lady. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's do a couple super chats though while we're Mika. here. Uh, 
I'm going to leave you up on screen for a sec, Carrie, because you're not bouncing around too much. Uh, thank you, Ken Lipson. Uh, Lipson. Ken says, unbelievable uh, rant, Carter. Awesome. Thank you, Ken. I uh, appreciate the super chat. Um, it keeps the lights on. Well, not quite yet, but, you know, it helps keep the lights on. It helps. The super chats help. Uh, let's see. There's another one I want to pull up. Uh, <clears throat> Wooly Cat. Wooly Cat. Thank you, Wooly Cat. Wooly Cat says, so appreciate you both helping me to continue to examine my beliefs and for bringing us knitters together tomorrow. Hey, no problem. Uh, no problem, Wooly Cat. Uh, there is a knitting. I think Tax Terror is in charge of that. Not I think. I know Tax Terror is in charge of the knitting circle. So That's awesome, by the way. Yeah. Tax Terra, thank you so much for setting up and it's unsafe unsafe knitters. And you guys can find out more info in the telegram chat on unsafe space. Yes. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is super cool. So um so yeah. All right. I feel like I've ranted a lot today, Carrie. Uh maybe I just can... have one last oh, yeah, thing please. to end on. Or um this is just an observation and a lot of times it's, you know, they, they, I understand why they have so much cognitive dissonance. I understand why they are hypocrites, but it's some, some, there are some things that, that I, I think that is so, it's so obvious that, that what they're doing, the consequences of what they're doing are exactly what they claim to be against. How come they can't see it? And one of those things is this erasure that's happening right now in culture of any non-white character from anything commercial oh, or that's so, so the, weird to me it's so weird so they're getting rid of aunt jemima and the land of lakes girl and you know they're going after all these characters that i'm like so who's going to be left on all of our breakfast cereal and it's all going to be white people you guys are like taking every historical image of any non-white person out of culture don't you see what you're doing you're making everything white why would you do that it's like the definition of whitewashing. I don't. I don't get it. Yes. Yeah. It yes. is. It is. Yeah. I, I don't. It's, I don't understand the it, thought process. It's. It's so bizarre. And but then again, I think. I think on some level, even though they're not cognizant that they're doing it, I think they're doing it because then you know how that you can never win with them. It's either like little ragamuffin who we got to interview who does she has her own shop she might be in chat today she has her own um small business she does uh, sewing patterns you know she was attacked by the sjw mob and because she had models who modeled her patterns who were not white like she had men who were not white as some of the models she was attacked for having men men who were not white as the models and said that she was using them as tokens However, we've seen them go after other pattern makers for the exact opposite reason. It doesn't matter. They're attacking you and they will find that you can't win. They, they will go after, if you don't have models of color, they will say, you don't have, that's why we're attacking you. If you do have models of color, they'll say, you have models of color, you're using them as tokens. <laughs> so, they, so part of me thinks that, you know, once they've managed to erase all images of any non-white people from pop culture, then they're going to look around and say, Look at all these white people on cereal boxes. Right. I told you we live in a white supremacist world. Yep. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. Someone in chat points out that Aunt Jemima was a millionaire, successful businesswoman. The Land of Lakes portrait was painted by a Native American. Yeah, of course. Right. Um, although apparently Uncle Ben is a fabrication. Um, but who cares? I, 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 yeah. Who cares? Uh, Carrie. 
can we talk about the cops in Atlanta walking off of the job and what's happening with uh, Rashard Brooks? Yes. Are you familiar with all this stuff? I, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I have a couple of friends uh, who are cops who started posting about the Atlanta walkouts. And, uh, and then I, I was talking with my fellow about this, actually, because I went to Twitter. I don't know if you guys rely on Twitter yet, like I do, but I, Twitter has usually led me the right way, usually during some kind of unfolding event and, uh, and when the mainstream media is trying to lead me the wrong way. And so the mainstream media immediately, the mayor went on, you know, did the circuit on legacy media and they did, an, they were, they released an official statement from the police department in Atlanta that said, you know, the, the, the rumors of walkouts are not true. And they were trying, they were basically just parroting the official statement. They don't do journalism. They don't actually go down and talk to sources and get people on the street and see what's happening. They don't talk to cops. They just, here's the official source. This is what's happening. And then, and then I would have friends sending me that saying, oh no, you're, these rumors are false here. This read this news article. Yeah. That news article is simply copying and pasting what the official response is from the police department and the mayor. It, it reminds That's me of not the journalism. Mike, yeah. It reminds me of the Mike Cernovich 60 minutes interviewer where the guy was yeah. like, but we know that, uh, it, it, you know, Hillary wasn't sick. It was just pneumonia or whatever. She just had mild case of pneumonia. And Mike Cernovich was like, how do you know? And they're like, well, that's what the campaign said. And Cernovich is like, yeah. How do you know the campaign? Why, like, did you, why would you trust the campaign? Like, did you do any I'm research? The no, the guys like. Do you do oh, any journalism? No, no, no journalism. So, so on uh, on Twitter, there were like various sources, people talking to sources in the police department that they had indeed walked off the job or called out. That was one of the, the spins was that oh, the cops haven't they haven't walked out. They've called out. They've called out sick. What's the difference? They didn't go to work. Right. What's the difference? Um, yeah, I, okay, it, yeah. but you go ahead. Cause... Well, I just want to share something. We've already talked about the shooting itself, how I believe it was justified. Um, I think anyone um, – we don't have, to, we don't have to, to talk about that too much. Although, uh, just to give you a little bit of context, if you haven't seen the videos, um, the guy was uh, – he ran when they tried to cuff him. He pushed a cop to the ground. That cop got a concussion. He stole a, a taser. And as he was running away, he turned and started firing the taser at the face, at the head of the cop chasing him. The cop chasing him uh, pulled out a sidearm and shot him, and he died. So, and then they performed CPR to try and save him, but he died. Uh, so that's that's the, the the series of events, the sequence of events. And um, by the way, I've been tased before, just as a, I've been tased before, just because I wanted to feel what it was like. Uh, and um, <laughs> and I have a little I have a little do... token that is supposedly like the, the the taser company like gave me like if you show this to other cops or whatever they'll know I don't know if that's true uh, but um, yeah I was I was intentionally tased because I wanted to know what it was like it sucks uh, uh, we should have let's add this anybody who's keeping a tr track of this add this to the list of Carter little known trivia that <laughs> <laughs> I've been tased <laughs> yeah yeah so. Um, it sucks. I mean, you're like, for me at least, you know, I'm maybe a smaller guy and I wasn't on drugs, so maybe it affected me more. But, uh, you know, I was like stiff as a board on the ground, like, ah, like they had to have someone catch me. They, they tased me and they had someone standing in front of me. They tased me from the back and I, like, I like, literally fell over like a board. I would have landed on my face. Um, so uh, anyway, <clears throat> the uh, 
I'm going to play what, the, so the DA, so the, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation is, um, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation is investigating this shooting. They have not concluded their investigation at all. However, the district attorney for uh, Fulton County, which is, is where Atlanta is, uh, the district attorney has decided to charge uh, the cops, <clears throat> and specifically, he's charging Garrett Rolfe, who is the shooter, with felony murder. Now, felony murder in, in Georgia um, potentially carries with it the death penalty. So there's a cop who's facing, potentially facing the death penalty. And I want to I read, I'm going to play two clips. <clears throat> the first clip is the DA talking about why he's charging this guy with felony murder. All right. So let's see if I can pull this up. Um, hold on here. Sorry. <clears throat> okay. Hopefully you guys can hear this. If you can't, let me know. And here we go. Oh, wait, I can't even hear it. You, you probably can't hear it because I can't hear it. Why can I not hear it? Because my sound on my laptop died. Hold on for a second, guys. It always happens. I got disconnected. It's Bluetooth. What a day. I just want to point out in the chat, yep. uh, Enduro says, if I was the cop, I would not have shot Richard Brooks. I would letting him run off with the taser was a win-win in terms of PR to combat, combat the madness, uh, but bad for any other victims if he had done something bad. I actually disagree with that. I think yeah, that too. if he had run off with the taser, first of all, it may not have made the news because they cherry pick what stories they're showing you. They are only showing you stories right now of black people who are uh, who are meeting force at the hands of a cop. That's all they're showing you. So if he had run off of the taser, I doubt it would have even made the news. Um, but if it did make the news, it, again, you can't win with them. So they would have said, look at these inept cops who lost their taser to this guy. The, top, the cops are, uh, you know, incompetent and need to be defunded. Like, there's no way to win the narrative. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, and if he, is... Go ahead. And if he had done something horrible with the taser, like like you said, the only thing bad would have been if something had... If he had done something horrible with the taser, that would have been put... That would have been put the the cop... They would have put that on the cops, whatever he did, because they're not putting any responsibility on him now. They wouldn't put any responsibility on him if he had used the taser on someone. They would put it on the cops for losing control of the taser. Like... Now they're not paying the responsibility on him for you stole a police officer's weapon. You resisted arrest and stole a weapon and tried to fire it at a police officer. But somehow there, you, you have no personal responsibility for that. You're not choosing to make those choices. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, too, and I, I mentioned this, um, I don't know, the other day when we were talking about it is uh, I I. I I, I don't know if this is a legal obligation, although it, it might be, but it's definitely a moral obligation. Uh, a cop has, you know, y you can't allow yourself, you're carrying a firearm. You can't allow yourself to become incapacitated. You can't, you can't allow yourself to get shot with a taser and incapacitated by a guy who's resisted arrest, already threw a cop to the ground and gave him a concussion and stole a taser. You can't, you can't allow that. 
Um, anyway, uh, I'm sorry, guys. My audio is not playing. I want to show you these clips. You're going to have to trust me that they exist. I will read to you what this guy said. Um, okay. I, I, I would have to reboot my computer. For some reason, the freaking sound is dying. And I'm annoyed because I have two beautiful clips of the DA uh, saying this. Um, so I'll, maybe I'll put links to them later so you can go look for yourself. But he says, quote, We've concluded at the time that Mr. Brooks was shot that he did not pose an immediate threat of death or serious physical injury to the officer or officers. So according to Supreme Court um, precedent, uh, officers are only supposed to shoot if he poses an immediate threat of death or serious physical injury to the officers or officers. Or I think or others as well. He had a weapon. Hold on. Hold on, Carrie. Hold on. So that's his argument, that turning and shooting a taser at someone's face does not pose an immediate threat of death or serious physical injury. That's the DA's argument. Now, let's rewind two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, there were protesters at a university, and the police got in trouble for using tasers on college protesters. One of the officers was charged with aggravated assault for merely pointing a taser at someone. Aggravated assault. And here's what that same DA said about pointing a taser. When an officer pointed a taser at a college student, that DA said only two weeks ago, as many of you know, under Georgia law, a taser is considered a deadly weapon under Georgia law. So his argument wow. for charging cops two weeks ago was... Pointing a taser wow. at someone is, is aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. And two weeks later, firing a taser at someone's head, if that person's a cop, doesn't count. It's no, it's no immediate threat of death or serious physical injury. It doesn't matter. It, it, this guy is the biggest scumbag. I'm going to show you his wow, face at that's... least. Here's, his, here's the face on the video. That's the dude. He is the biggest scumbag on the planet. And if I were a cop in Atlanta... Of course I would walk out. Screw you. How could you possibly be expected to do your job yeah. in a situation like that? It is absolutely ridiculous. It's 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 beyond I don't even know it's beyond the pale. There's no way to there's no way to even try to justify this. It's all political. And by the way, this guy, this guy, this DA he is up for corruption charges, and he's, like, in the middle of a tight election and all this crap. He's just a scumbag. This guy's a scumbag. Um, his name, if you're in Atlanta or anywhere near Atlanta, the guy's name is Paul Howard. Just make sure he doesn't win a re-election. He's a scumbag. Vote, he's an absolute vote scumbag. Vote this guy out, Atlanta. By the way, we should put up this little clip at the end about the cops and about this, about this guy being up for re-election and send out this clip. For anyone in Atlanta, vote this guy out. Yeah, yeah, vote the guy out. He's, he's a jerk. And, um, and look, I'm against excessive use of force by police. I don't think, I, and I didn't, I don't know the college, uh, I don't know the situation with the college kids. Maybe the aggregate assault charge was, was justified. I have, I have no idea. I, like, I didn't study that. But I do know the standards changed. They flipped 180 degrees depending on whether a cop was pointing, pointing a taser at someone and whether a guy fleeing who had already assaulted an officer was literally shooting a taser at someone's face. Night and day. Night and day definition. Night and day. Uh, this Becky, guy, this Becky, guy deserves to be in jail. Uh, the DA deserves so, to go to jail. 
BS in chat says we need to make a meme with those two quotes and post it. Yes, and actually, if you are a meme maker and you make that and send it send it to me or Carter, we will get it up and credit you if you want credit. Speak at unsafespace.com is our email. Yeah, and maybe I'll maybe I'll even pull the clips out where he, instead of me reading it, I can I can pull clips out where he's saying it. I can I can do yeah. it. Um, because yeah. it's better. It's better to not hear it from me, but to hear it from his own mouth, um, which is why I had yeah. clips queued up. I'm sorry they didn't they didn't fire. Um, yeah. But anyway, that 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 just really bothered me. Uh, I don't have a lot oh, else to you. talk about, Carrie. Um, it should bother you. But. Well, the cops I saw talking, they were saying, okay, if we're going to start charging cops with murder and saying that the death penalty is on the table for doing their job, for for firing at someone who's firing a weapon at them, then why why should cops go to work tomorrow? I mean, wh- how how are we supposed to do our job? You know, why are my put- why are they putting their life on the line? In, yeah. in some cases, to protect people, why? Like, you're showing no respect for that at all. Again, I think we are we're I, I know we're at this place where we are uh, confusing those cops who are corrupt with and, and trying to say that that's all of policing. And that's the only reason people go in. And I've been watching a lot of Jimmy Dore lately and, uh, or some Jimmy Dore lately. And I don't actually, I agree with him on a lot. I, there's a video I watched today that I agree with him on everything, but the one thing I don't agree with him on lately that he talks about is he talks about, it doesn't matter if you go into policing with good intent, that the system is corrupt and it will corrupt you. Well, I haven't been a cop, so I can't say from experience if that's true or not. But I know cops who are not corrupt, so I have to, in my way of knowing, <laughs> Carter. Well, no, that's evidence. I have to assume that's anecdotal but yeah, evidence, evidence, but it's evidence. It's, yeah, it's, anecdotal, yeah. anecdotal evidence that not every cop is corrupt. Right. You're not saying I feel in my gut that they're not corrupt. You're, you, you know, but right. uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think every cop is corrupt either. I do think, as I've said uh, previously, and uh, and I've talked to now a couple cops about this. Um, I think there is a generational difference. Um, the older cops tend to be better, uh, and a lot of the younger cops tend to be just in it for a job or thugs or whatever. Uh, so yeah. I think you, def- you definitely do see that. But, you know, again, uh, I-, I think if, it, if you care about the, a police state, if you're concerned about a police state, the way to fight a police state is to get rid of laws. <laughs> like, get rid of laws. The fewer laws that cops have to enforce the less they have to interact with the public. And think about it. If cops were only arresting people who, like, were murderers and rapists and thieves, well, yeah, there'd still be some bad interactions, and those would still be unjust interactions. But at least, you know, at at least they would be minimized and they would be, uh, you know... If you weren't a violent person, you would be, be very unlikely to ever have an, right. like a, an encounter with a cop at all. But right now, right. you know, in California, I believe Gavin Newsom wants cops to be empowered to, uh, you know, arrest you or cite you or whatever for not wearing a mask. So, like, yeah, I mean, that's not a cop's job and it shouldn't be cop's job. Cop's job. So, uh I guess, Carrie, the only other can we maybe we can lay, lay, like end on a. I don't know if this is the lighter note. Well, one quick thing. Wombat in chat says that Super Chat is not working for her and it won't let her make a donation. Well, thank you for trying to give us a donation. I don't know what's wrong with it, but um, but if you 
you anybody who wants to donate if you're new to the channel we have a subscribe star so if you can't get through to super chat you can go to subscribestar.com and you can donate any amount even a dollar to unsafe space if you want to give us a tip wow wombat that would be one way of getting around whatever's happening yeah she says she refreshed twice and tried to donate four times well well wombat i'm sure that it's just a random technical error that youtube is experiencing that will end the moment our broadcast ends um so don't worry uh it's just coincidence we just happen to be arguing against their we narrative. just happen to be, yeah. yeah yeah uh it probably happens to people that full it happens to cnn all the time i'm sure oh they probably don't have chat actually um okay i i want to i i do want to just bring up a couple kind of minor things that i think are uh interesting because i've been really hating on the media a lot lately carrie uh because god they, mm -hmm. they just suck so much um <laughs> I, they they really do and and the, a couple things that i wanted to point out here uh, let's see. Let's see if I can even pull this up. So one is one's from last week, and uh, I'm going to pull this article up. One's from last week. Here's an article in the New York Times. Trump's halting walk down ramp raises new health questions. Okay, and they show him here. They show him walking down. You know, walking down slowly down the ramp might be slick. There's no railing. He's also old, right? walking down the ramp but you know he makes it down makes it down the ramp he's talking while he's, he's having a conversation while he's walking down the ramp now am i saying that it's totally beyond the pale to question health problems of a 74 year old president who's slowly walking down a ramp no go ahead but here's the thing we all remember the video of hillary literally yeah. falling over collapsing as she's being supported and propped up into a van. And we all remember, in fact, we just referenced it earlier this show, we all remember how the media didn't ask any health questions. In fact, people who started to ask health questions about Hillary Clinton were alt-right conspiracy theorists. How dare they yes. question Hillary's How dare they? That's not journalism. Except That's just alt-right conspiracy. Let me butt in for a second. They they not only did that, but at the very same time, well, you don't even have to wait this long to see their glaring hypocrisy now where they're speculating about his house based on a video. I mean, even back then and, and when he was elected in, then they started bringing on psychiatrists who had never oh, diagnosed him or never sat with him or seen him in person who are all talking about how he's mentally ill. Yeah. And are all speculating on his mental illness. Yeah. They, they were showing the double standard in real time and they're still doing it. Yep, that's a good point. It's that's unbelievable point. It was, to me. It's an old double standard, but it, it bought this particular yeah. double standard. Just it bothered me because it was almost yeah. it, it was almost the same, right? It's like walking. He did a better job at walking than Hillary Clinton, but we're questioning his health because that's a big concern, right? Um, yeah, in the New York Times, so by the way, guys. Fake. This is the uh, the new uh, the gray lady. We talked about the gray lady has uh, prostituted herself for yeah. ideology. This is yeah. The, yeah. The it's, old, old standard. It's so disingenuous, Carrie. The whole thing's just so, it's so disingenuous. Um, oh, actually, we have a couple, we suddenly have a couple super chats. Uh, I don't know how. Oh, wow, thank you. Yeah, we do. Thank you to uh, We Smoke Bitcoins has a little emoji. Thank you. Oh, okay, hold on. Let me, uh, let me go through. I think the first one that I missed is Jen. Jen says... 
How much money does Google take from Super Chats? You know, Jen, I forget, but I should know, and I'm sorry I don't know the answer, and I will research it and tell you later. It's, Find out. I, do, I don't think it's egregious. It's, it's, it's probably something like Apple's 30% or something. I, I don't know. Um, it's, we don't get all of it, of course. Uh, we get more. I will say this. We do get more from Subscribestar. Uh, they do take a cut, but it's a minimal cut um, compared, comparatively. Uh, thank you, Kim Ray. Kim Ray says, to my favorite knitting podcast. Uh, Kim thank Ray. you, Kim Ray. This is a knitting podcast. Um, all right. <laughs> I reluctantly, sometimes I have to agree. Uh, agree. Also, uh, thank you to Andre Sue Knits. Thanks for fighting the good fight. You guys rock. Thank you, Andre. And uh, I don't see, the, I don't know why I'm not seeing the one from. Uh, we hey, spoke I'm, Bitcoins. Yeah, why am I not yeah. seeing the Bitcoin one? Oh, here it is. He's got a It doesn't get highlighted. Box. I don't know why it's not getting highlighted in this thing. Whatever. Uh, thank you, We Smoke Bitcoins. Uh, and it's a Shiba dog in samurai armor waving a banner saying number one. <laughs> uh, also, Sandykins, wow, we're getting a lot of super chat. Thank you, Sandykins. Sandykins says, I've noticed that the bigger the text or the message, the the more you have to pay before it posts. I didn't know that. Um, oh. We're learning about super chat. I don't know. Thank you. Well, we're still learning. Thank you. Thank um, you, Sandykins. Carrie, did you see the. I wanna... uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I thought we were ending. Do you have one more thing? Uh, I, yeah. Do you Did you see the okay. um, the outrage over this? Post from Trump's uh, <clears throat> campaign with no, the, the Antifa post. Okay. No. So um, I'm going to read it. It says, dangerous mobs of far left groups are running through our streets and causing absolute mayhem. They are destroying our cities and rioting. It's absolute madness. It's important that every American comes together as a at a time like this to send a united message that we will not stand for their radical actions any longer. We're calling on you to make a public statement and add your name to stand with, the pres with President Trump against Antifa. Please add your name immediately to stand with your president and his decision to declare Antifa a terrorist organization. So this is the, this is the advertisement, and there is an upside-down red triangle, an inverted red triangle. Um, meaning the, the, the base is on the top and the point is at the bottom. There's an inverted red triangle here. And uh, here's, here's how this has been reacted to. Facebook took it down. They said it violated their hate speech rules. And the reason for this, which I did not realize. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason they point. Do you know, do you know that Facebook, well, Facebook, okay, but Facebook has, Antifa has a group on Facebook. All they do is post hate speech. If you, right. if you believe in hate speech, the definition of what hate speech is, that's all they post. They have a Twitter account. They get to be on Facebook, but you can't do a post criticizing them and calling them out for what they are, which is terrorists. Right, right. Well, uh, the the rationale is, and I'll admit I didn't know this. Uh, the red triangle, the inverted red triangle, was apparently used by the Nazis to to as a badge that political dissidents had to wear, and so their argument is, you are using uh, iconography from a hate group. To attack political opponents, and that iconography is, uh, um, you know, about political opponents from from the Nazi regime, and so that's their argument. Now, um, 
I would expect something, some iconography to be red. I'm not sure why they didn't just use the Antifa flag. Maybe they were worried there was copyright, although I don't think there is. Um, I'm not sure why they chose it. The Trump campaign said, we looked at the Anti-Defamation League's list of symbols, and it wasn't on one of the hate symbols. And so then the response was, well, our, that our hate symbols aren't complete. That you can't just look up at our hate symbols. Um, so now... I don't know that I'm going to agree. A lot of people are... So there's people on the left that are saying, like, I don't care, or that, that are saying, like, this is obviously he's trying to be, you know, appeal to Nazis. Um, and there's a lot of Trump people who are like, oh, come on, this is just a coincidence. Uh, I got to I gotta admit, I, I, I am inclined to believe it's a coincidence. I am. I'm inclined to accept that. However, I would expect a statement afterwards that says, oh... Sorry, we didn't realize that it was a... And I know the Trump campaign's not good at ever apologizing for anything, so I don't expect it from them. But I, if it were me and I did this unintentionally, I would say, oops, sorry, we didn't realize that was a Nazi symbol. You know what? We, we looked in Anti-Defamation League. We, shouldn't, we, 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 didn't, we didn't mean to, to post a, a symbol that was, was related. Here's our new ad. It doesn't have the symbol. It has the Antifa flag or whatever. I would have said at least that much. Um, just to have it on record that like it wasn't an intentional move and we didn't mean it. Sorry, um, because I do think posting like posting Nazi <laughs> insignia stuff is like not a good thing to do. Um, I don't so I don't, but I don't think they did it intentionally. However, unfortunately, uh, and I don't know if this is just you know maybe I'm bad at political tactics and unfortunately it's just my view of it. And but you know Trump, Trump the Trump campaign's not big on ever admitting fault for anything, so I don't think they're ever going to apologize for it. Um, or, or do anything, but, you know, uh, I, I do think that, uh, I do think that when the left ever does anything, certainly anyone on the right who points out this kind of stuff gets called a crazy conspiracy theorist and, and needs to be banned from social media and all that kind of stuff, so, you know, whenever the left uses some kind of icono iconography that can be taken one way or another, uh, certainly... Certainly anyone who points that out is a crazy conspiracy theorist, so I, I do think there's double standards going on here. However, you know, I'm not a, I'm not like a rah-rah MAGA guy. I, you know, I think I would apologize. I don't know what, what you think about this, Carrie, but I just want to bring that to people's attention. Uh, I don't think that anybody, like like somebody says in low-res voice says in chat, nobody knows that a reverted triangle is bad. Come on now. Yeah, I didn't know that. Right, but, right. But also, That's why I think if, it's if somebody, but if... But if they did, like you're saying, if they didn't know it, they should own up to it. And if they didn't, they should still say we didn't know it. Whatever. It's on there for a reason. So maybe somebody in this camp knew. But here's the other thing is, now that I know that that was a symbol that they made people wear who were wrong thinkers, who were political dissidents, like, you know what the left would do? They would reclaim that symbol and use it. Like, I immediately thought, oh, that's what we are. We're the triangle. We would be forced to wear that. If the, if the SJWs had their way, like, we're the political dissidents. We're the wrong thinkers. Yeah. So, like, we'd be wearing that upside-down triangle. Do you know what I mean? Like, they'd oh, be yeah. forcing that on us. We're much more likely to have to like, wear this someday I, than they are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're the yeah. wrong thinkers. Like, that triangle, like, it, you know. Right. I, I kind of am like. That's who we are today. I didn't That's know our that, new logo. that existed. It's no, you kidding. can draw that parallel. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can draw that parallel now and say, yeah, that's what that's what they would be putting on 
any, you know, we call our, we call the people who donate to us on Subscribestar. We have a list, of tiered, we have a tiered list of different donation levels, but everyone we call an unperson, you know, which comes from the bank table, or and even John, the DVD, they put it on the unperson. They put it on the wrong fingers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think my connection's breaking up. I right. think it is too, but uh, we could kind of hear that last thing, although you are breaking up. But we're winding down the show, so that's okay. Let me thank Paige. Uh, Paige sends a super chat. Paige V says, thank you for all you do. And this is my favorite knitting channel. Uh, you, you guys Yay. have a knitting channel. By the way, um, the knitting thing, there, uh, I noticed that in the Telegram chat, all the knitters left to have their own knitting Telegram chat. Uh, and I noticed it did get a lot quieter in the Unsafe Space Telegram chat. Oh. But now, now we're more likely to talk about uh, firearms which I would rather talk about. So I think that's okay. Um, we can, uh, not to be misogynistic, but the girls have gone one place and the guys went the other way and that's just kind of what's happened. Not completely, not completely. Uh, there's still both genders in both, uh, in both. But, you know, it's certainly become more about guns and less about yarn in the one and more about yarn and less about guns in the other, as far as I can tell. So um, one more, uh, let's see. <laughs> Thank you, uh, EC Homer. I never know how to say that. I don't know if EC Homer is right, but thank you, EC Homer. EC Homer says, non-ninders are human too. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. We welcome non-ninders. Um, I'm a non-nitter, and, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sad about it. I'm a non-nitter, proudly. And I think that's it for the Super Chats. Uh, yeah, I think I got them all. Here's one of them. Okay. Go ahead, Carrie. What? I gotta go. I have a bad connection, but I wanted to say one thing. I saw this post from Eric July. This is again for people who are feeling discouraged or scared or whatever during this time. Eric July said something to the effect of these leftists, these woke leftists, they're gonna call you racist or sexist or they're gonna call you the, these names no matter what. And it doesn't have to make sense. So you might as well not you might as well not kiss ass because they're still going to call you these names. And it made, it made me think, and I, I was thinking about how, you know, these are the, they, they are able to control people with fear of being called something that they are not. They depend on us. They depend on you not being a racist or sexist and being afraid. They depend on you being afraid of being called that something that you're not. And they manipulate you with that fear. And and I was I was kind of I posted about it so I was thinking you know, like, people stand up and speak truth and with courage and know what they are and not be afraid to oppose these crap beliefs because their beliefs are crap their beliefs are racist and sexist um, and, and 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 I want to leave on this this quote hopefully it will inspire you it inspires me a lot my friend Mandy sent me this <clears throat> a while back and it stuck with me she said. Uh, a lion does not concern itself with the sheep. Who, who cares what they call you and what they think of you? You know, who cares? Be a lion. That's why. That's why. That's I implore you. That's what. That's the thought I wanted to leave on. <laughs> anyway. It's an excellent closing thought, Carrie. Uh, so thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I know you're breaking up, and we should probably we should probably end the show, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I love I love the ending that you just did. It was good. So, be a lion. Don't uh, don't let them don't let them scare you. They're using your own virtue against you. That's what they're doing. 
if you were a racist, you wouldn't give a crap that you were called a racist. You only care because you're not. Yes. <laughs> so uh, don't let them use your own virtue against you. That's, your, that's the weapon that you can disarm them uh, of. So thanks for watching, everyone. Uh, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll continue to bring you other content. But just as a reminder, every Monday and Friday, we do live Kofefi at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, that's what this show is. And then we have various other shows. We did deprogrammed earlier this week. Last week, we had an interview with Yasmin Mohammed and some other stuff. So uh, we will bring you other content as well. The more uh, we become self-sufficient, the more uh, other content we'll bring, and hopefully the higher quality will be. So uh, we have grown a lot lately, and I really want to thank the people who've been involved in that. Uh, uh, I know a lot of people in chat. I don't know if Dr. K is in chat, but I, and she's been great to us. And um, welcome to all the new people. And uh, be aware we are building a community. And we're, you know this isn't just about a show. It's about building a community. You can go to Telegram. Um, and, and participate in the chat and, uh, you know, maybe make some new friends. So with that, have a good weekend, everyone. Have a good Father's Day, and we will see you on Monday. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. I have calculated a 97.8% chance that these are all rushing bots. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. I wonder what's on Netflix right now. Probably something very interesting. That last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.